0: Welcome to the Events Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor, and each week I talk with event professionals and entrepreneurs about how they plan, promote, and run their events. We help you build your events empire by growing your business using live events. Whether you're running community meetups or conferences, trade shows, and other events, we focus on finding actionable tips that you can use straight away. We want you to get more attendees, produce epic events, make more money and most importantly to do it all with no stress. This podcast is sponsored by EventsFrame. Check it out over at eventsframe.com. Make the switch from Eventbrite today to our amazing ticketing and registration system with no ticket fees. Most ticketing systems charge you a minimum of 3% of the ticket price, but we just have a flat low fee with no ticket fees and no restrictions. There's literally no system out there that is cheaper than EventsFrame. It's also super easy to use, and you can embed your tickets in your website, or you can use our own website builder, which is really simple. We have amazing options to apply all kinds of discounts, and all the features you'd expect from a much more expensive system like QR code check-in. Go to eventsframe.com, that's E-V-E-N-T-S-F-R-A-M-E.com, for a free, no-risk, one-month trial. Hi, and welcome to the Events Podcast. Um, Today, I'm delighted to be talking to Dan Johnson, who's who's a friend of mine uh, in Prague, although he's actually in Spain now, which is, as we're recording this, we're in the height of coronavirus. Well, maybe not the height. I'm not sure the height so far of coronavirus. So we're going to get into that. Dan's a business uh, and lifestyle coach, I guess. His website is dreamsaroundtheworld.com, and he also runs uh, live events. He's run live events in a couple of different continents, so we'll get into that. So welcome to the podcast, uh, Dan. Good to catch up with you. Yeah, so before we get into coronavirus, um, we want to talk about that, If you know what you see cuz you you're a very thoughtful guy, you know. You 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 read a lot about this, so you you've got some good thoughts that are better than the average facebooker. Before I get <laughs> started, like what well, quickly about your background? Like what are you obviously you're from Canada, like what was like how did you end up as a business coach? Like what were the steps that kind of went there? Cuz a lot of people would love to do what you do, you know? Like work for yourself, live where you want hang out, talk to interesting people? Like how, how did that come about? Yeah, good
1: question. I'll try not to go too off trying to explain it all. That's fine, I can speed um, you up if it takes
0: too long, to no Yeah,
1: perfect, perfect. So I think I've always had a interest in psychology and helping people. It sounds, I guess, plain or cheesy, but do what they actually wanna do. So I can remember before I was doing this for a living, being in Vancouver and being on a date, Uh, Probably happened more than once, but one specifically comes to mind. And within an hour of the date, I'm, you know, not convincing in a salesy way, but let's say talking her through quitting her job. And, you know, (laughs) it ended up becoming a free coaching session and not a date. And, you know, two days later, she'd quit her job and started a dad or started a dad, started a business with her dad. Okay. And yeah, so I think that's been there for me for a while. When I left Canada, it was 2012 and I left it to just start traveling. I wanted to live in five countries before I turned 30 and I was working as a freelance copywriter and that was just my vehicle. I liked writing and what was nice about it is I was working with small businesses, usually coaches actually, and helping them do what they want to do. So there's an aspect of business coaching to that, like helping them find clarity, helping them figure out their message and how to present themselves and And a few years into the travel, I was in Spain, and that's when, to keep the long story short, I finally ripped off the Band-Aid and said, you know, copywriting was paying very well. But it was just, I don't really want to write for other people. I want to write my own books. I want to be helping people more directly.
0: Had you and, had you uh, read the Four Hour Workweek? Um, by the this is a book we refer to all the time. But had you read that before you
1: set off? Because that that obviously within the first year of it coming out, absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And like most people, I still need to reread it every year or two yeah. because you forget a lot of the important stuff. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So you were a freelancer, and then
0: obviously working with coaches, and you were, and we, and I guess you were probably kind of thinking, actually, I could probably do a better job than
1: some of these people are doing. Um, there. I've had that feeling when I've hired coaches. A lot of the coaches I worked for were were pretty rock stars. Uh, yeah. I don't have too much bad to say. But even before, before I left Canada, I had done Tony Robbins' uh, coaching program. I had done NLP. I had uh, a degree in psychology. So I was sort of lined up to do it, but just yeah. had a lot of uh, maybe a mix of fear and also feeling like I wanted a bit more life experience before I started talking out of my ass about things. Yeah. So you
0: were freelancing and you, you were in Spain at the time when, when you had this realization that you wanted to start kind of working for your own clients. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And like, I'm curious, like, how did you, because I imagine the hardest, maybe I'm wrong, but I'd imagine the hardest thing would be to get your first client. Because obviously you, you've got to probably be a bit vague about how many clients you've got. And I'm not sure if you were sure up front and said, look, you're my first hmm. client. But how did you get your first client?
1: So I was pretty upfront about that I was starting off. Yeah. The I had a bit of a not a big leg up, but I had an email list of maybe 250 people, right? Which was primarily from a webinar I co-hosted with a friend a few months back that he helped organize, and then a few like friends and family and some of my own clients and things like that. Right. And I did an email series I just wrote up basically saying I'm starting this, I think I'll be good, I'll be cheap. Uh, it was 200 bucks a month for biweekly calls and $300 a month for weekly calls. So not insanely cheap, but on the lower end of, of coaching, I would say. Yep. And that ended up, I, I obviously applied my copywriting skills and that ended up with four or five, I think five clients. And then that was my basic, I mean, I was living cheap in Spain, you know, living in a room, so my expenses were maybe a thousand euros a month if I wasn't living large and I think I was covering that, which allowed me to basically stop copywriting. And
0: so, so, yeah, you could have like three clients and cover your cost of living at that point, basically.
1: Yeah, which is a big upside of the location independence in terms of moving somewhere cheap if you want to have more freedom. Like I could have, and I did have the occasional copywriting client because at that point it was paying very well. And why not? But it's nice to be able to really focus on what you want to do. and not be, okay, I have a a eight grand a month bills to pay. So I really have very little freedom, right? In terms of pivoting, at least in the early days.
0: It's interesting because, you know, I've never had a business coach. I've, my only coaching has been kind of the mastermind we all had together in Prague, which was a lot of fun, which was, which was more kind of drinking weekends than masterminding, but it was like, I enjoyed it. It was
1: drinking weekends and you dropping the knowledge bombs
0: Uh, For, for those
1: who don't know dan too well in real life um one of the other members who who knows him longer uh, simon whistler would say to me like that just whatever dan taylor says just listen because <laughs> you'd be sitting there you'd be sort of lying on the ground and being the casual guy and then you'd just be listening and then you would drop a knowledge bomb and they'd almost always be right
0: <laughs> well very <laughs> nice of you to say so i don't know i think people just psychologically forget the bad advice people give and remember the good advice <laughs> like, um, you know it's interesting about coaching because I've never had a coach but it was I was one guy we're both members of the dynamite circle this group and there's one guy in there who's a really cool guy and I was thinking to engage him and I had a chat with him and it was just that the price was you know like three thousand dollars a month and this guy like and everything he was saying I'm like yes that's great that's great but then I was like three thousand dollars a month I don't know I didn't do it and it's a real psychological thing because you know although clearly if it goes well you'll make a lot more than three thousand a month but it was a price you know and I think just for me, the kind of price you were putting it at is, is that's a lot more you are think, well, it, you know, it doesn't work out, you know. I don't yeah. know. It, it's, it's very tough on to how to price your services because obviously as you get more experience, you're going to increase them. But I, I wonder how that psychology works with, with pricing from a coach's point of view.
1: It's something I struggle with right now because I, I do think, you know, some coaches will just charge a really high number and work with anyone and sort of encourage people, say, to like get in debt or whatever. Because at least if you're working with Americans, everyone, well, a lot of people have access to money, whether or not they should spend it. Then there's coaches, probably like the one you're talking about, who just works with people earning a lot of money. So they're like, this is what it's going to cost. And it will be worth it because if you double your income or whatever it is, I have trouble because I think about the practical aspect of the money. Like This is a lot of money for people but then i'm also going back like what is it worth for me now to actually have those calls because most coaches you can maybe work with 10 one-on-one clients uh, you're just drained it's not something you do like a 40 hour week you know 40 sessions a week yeah yeah and so you're i think coach i guess you're spending a lot of time actually thinking about their
0: problems you know what they can what they could do
1: yeah and i think you're also it's i, I think of you know a boxer your boxer doesn't box 40 hours a week right you sort of need to be in a really good headspace when you're having those calls and and then i think for me okay what would it actually be worth for me to then be uh writing less or filming less courses or i think about the group programs i do and when i actually do the math on those what the hourly would work out to for me in terms of earnings and it's very hard for me to price one-on-one And so I've basically stopped doing one-on-one. I have a few packages on my site when people contact me. I actually took the coaching page off my site, off the menu. But some people still end up finding it, I think, through Google or through links and old videos that was in or something. I basically have some packages and that if they really want to buy, they can. But I'm trying to move more and more to, especially with what's happening now, with the virus and economy is I'm trying to move more towards the wider side. So what can I do where I may be serving 20 people at a time and offering them really good value? But it's affordable as well. But for me, it ends up being more energizing. It's I generally find for me personally, it's more energizing to be leading a group of people than do one on ones. And I think they get more value out of it, too. And is there,
0: is it, do they have like a kind of form where they can talk to each other and help each other as well? Or is it it kind of a one-to-many
1: approach? I'm starting to do that more. So with the group calls I do is it they've always been, uh, everyone has video, so it's a zoom call. It's not a webinar. Yep. And so there's interaction, but I recently started doing at the end of calls, breakout rooms where basically you, you know, split eight people or 10 people and they go into rooms of two or three. Yep. That was something I just thought I'd try out. And it's it's been awesome. Like the reaction has been really positive. I have to leave my computer on running the meetings. Yeah. So I will leave at the end and set the breakout rooms. I say, oh, take 10 or 15 minutes. And the other day, I think it was a Saturday night. And so I left the call running, you know, muted myself and left it running. And three hours later I come and they're still in the group. And I think it might be a technical error. And they emailed me after and said. <laughs> they spent three hours talking about their businesses and it was the best call they've ever had. And, yeah. and so have yeah, more and more, I'm going to try to integrate that in terms yeah, of using each other's knowledge. After
0: the call stays on and you can all stay on the chat, you know? Yeah. Um. So I guess, so your, your business, cause obviously I want to come onto the live events part of it. Cause you've run a couple of events, which is, you know, even though that's kind of a focus of a podcast, it's, you know, we talk about a lot more general business things, you know, but how, how has it transitioned then? So is, is you went from doing a few one-to-one clients to taking on more clients to doing kind of group coaching and making more video content. Is that kind of the progression of the business?
1: Yes. I would say
0: generally. Yeah. Cool. And, and how did you end up doing, doing your live events? Cause I know what, what have you done? You've done some in South America and some in Prague, like, and, and what kind of, can you talk a bit about what you've done and for your community in terms of these events?
1: Yeah, I've done, what was it? Two in Prague, um one in spain one in mexico and one in canada i think yeah. i did them fairly small as events part of that is i i do like the small events where we actually go out for dinners and everything together part of it is poor marketing on my end you know i, I i'd be lying if i said my my number wasn't more 2025 when i organized the first one yeah. that i was hoping for it obviously it takes a lot to market an event because people for my events people are coming the so one I did in Spain, two of the four people, or I think five, two of the five people came from North America yep. for a four-day event, which is surprised me. And so, you do need to market well in advance. And my personality doesn't do that extremely well. So,
0: yeah, your events are
1: kind of like all, all
0: like almost like an immersive event. You come for you have sessions, I guess some social activities. It's kind of days and evenings. It's kind of pretty much the whole four days, is it?
1: Yeah, it definitely is and what i was thinking of doing this year although something apparently is happening in the world that makes it hard to throw events right now is i was thinking of doing them with less uh focused training because one of the things i found is the couple of weeks before the event i'm fairly stressed because i'm thinking about the the training days and what i'll be teaching and i tend to not recycle content i tend to teach new stuff each time which Is good and bad. And so what I was thinking is, let's just do these events where it's more like a mastermind and I prepare some stuff and I guide, but I don't have that pressure of four or five days. And instead, it's four or five days of of lecturing or training or whatever term we want to use it's more about connecting people and the social element and, and whatever happens sort of happens.
0: And are you, are you like renting a a large property and everyone stays there or or are you, are people staying in different places and you're all just meeting up during the day?
1: Generally meet up during the day. Let's see two, I think two, no, three of the events we used a, a house for the daily meetups. And then the one in Canada, the last one I did, we actually ended up renting a house. Right. And everyone right. stayed there. And that was more just me looking at the cost of hotels. I didn't realize in Vancouver in August, they were going to be you know, 300 three, $400 a night. Yeah. And I was just thinking about my events so far have been newer entrepreneurs. And I'm like, that's just a waste of money, even though some of my guests can afford it, yeah. because they they have a good job and they want to transition. Like, that's a waste of people's money. So we ended up renting a house and it went really well. People love the house setup. So
0: Cool, cool. Now, I mentioned before coronavirus. Obviously, as we record this, it's 3rd of April 2020. You know, it's it's kind of going pretty bad. Like, I'm in Prague at the moment because uh, we should mention that you, you, you're you based in Prague, although, you know, you travel quite a bit, uh, but you're currently yeah. in Spain. Uh, what's the situation like? Can you just give us a feeling of, of what it's like there? Because obviously Spain is, unfortunately, kind of, you know, I think second to Italy in terms of the number of deaths and the number of cases in, in Europe. And how's it, how's it, how, how is it there? How was how, how, it like to live there?
1: It's so to give a bit of a background, um, not to play the know-it-all, but I saw this coming very obviously in Spain. Yeah. In I'm in I'm in Valencian now, and Valencia has a low amount of cases, uh, fortunately. But there was a football match in northern Italy when the outbreak was starting there, and it was the Valencian team versus the Italian team uh, Spanish fans who went and came back, brought a bunch of cases. I think the team journalist got it and the team was scared. He got all the players sick and, and this was early March. There was a game March 9th where the Italian team was supposed to come here. At this point, the Italian villages, some of them in that area are already on full lockdown and quarantine. So the Italian fans, thousands of them were supposed to come to Valencia the government, both the federal and local governments said, who are we to tell people what they can do in terms of allowing and the game, not only the game to continue like a crowd, but actually people, thousands from Northern Italy coming here. Yeah. And the only reason, as far as I know, they didn't is because Italy, by the time the game was going to happen, stopped their people from leaving. Right. And there was supposed to be an event here March 15th where in valencia specifically where million about a million people a day come from spain and italy's the biggest country that sends people oh. and they didn't cancel that until three days before they oh. just kept saying hey we'll see what happens we'll see what happens so Spain, I think, will be the worst in the world per capita. It already is.
0: Um, What's the is it? Is it just what you're saying? They just they just didn't close. The, they didn't restrict travel. Is, is that is that kind of the reason it's got so bad? I'm not. I'm not clear why it's so bad in Spain. Really
1: incompetent government. Yeah. On March, uh, so March sixth, there was I think four or five hundred cases, and they were reporting numbers every day. But on March 8th, there was a giant rally the government, which is a left government, wanted to have for Women's Day and to get these new laws passed. Laws that are probably good. I don't know the details of the law. But the health minister was asked, you know, should people go to these rallies? And they even the health minister said yes. And the government encouraged people. So on March 8th, there was millions of people going out to rallies like hong kong protest level of crowding and that was encouraged by the government they did not release any numbers for the two days before or that day to not show the growth and then on march 9th when they released it it had went from 400 cases to 1100 so they were probably hiding those numbers that will be a big investment but that's the accusation right now because they wanted their law passed and so even now, you go out and there's less people out, but half the people have masks at the supermarket. The cashier the other day had her mask hanging below her chin. This is at little a German chain, so you would expect if anyone has the rules. Yeah, and
0: like in the Czech Republic, it's every every single person wears a mask. Every every child. I mean, it's it's the law, but everyone follows it. Amazing. A lot of homemade ones, which are which I still think have some benefits. They stop you sneezing or coughing. There is some. Yeah you know, effect on that, I guess. You know more than me. Yeah. Just to step in here quickly to mention our sponsor, Events Frame, a project I'm co-founder of, and I want to mention our integrations, which we believe are the best available. Firstly, payment integrations. You can connect any payment gateway such as Stripe... PayPal, Braintree, or even bank account or take cash, you can connect everything to EventsFrame. We also have the best marketing integrations out there, with every email marketing system including MailChimp, Zapier, Infusionsoft, Aweber, Drip, and we've got deep integrations with all the social media platforms like Facebook, Google, and Twitter. We've got thousands of events live on EventsFrame right now, ranging from small community meetups to huge trade shows and conferences. Check it out over at eventsframe.com. That's E V E N T S F R A M E.com. And now, back to the interview.
1: Yeah, that seems to be my understanding. And in some countries, when people, like when the press talks about should you wear a mask, they say, ah, they mostly just protect other people, not you, so don't bother. And you're like, what? What kind of an individualistic <laughs> society do we live in where you're yeah, like, oh, know. you'll. There's a virus where you can spread it for a week without any symptoms, without knowing you have it, and you're telling people, "Don't bother wearing masks; they only protect other people." Exactly, that's the same.
0: Um, and what what are the numbers in Spain now? Like, what are how many infections are there now?
1: Uh, I haven't checked in the last day or two. I think the official is probably one fifteen now. Uh, one hundred fifteen thousand. One
0: hundred fifteen thousand. Yeah, the big. dead
1: broke ten thousand a day or two ago. Unofficial numbers. So I sent out some uh, calculations. So you can figure out not to get too much into the weeds, but you can figure out the real amount of cases in a country by looking at the death rate. And then the amount of people that die in the last week will tell you about the amount of active cases there were two to four weeks ago, because no one dies within the first couple weeks of having it. And now there's other factors. So, for instance, the fact that in Madrid, people are sleeping on towels in the hospital hallways means that their ability to care for people is less, which means um, you're going to have a higher mortality rate than you otherwise would. But Spain, there's a, a graph I was looking at the other day. But ba- basically, Spain had has 10,000 dead now, and most of those are in the last two weeks, which tells us that two weeks ago there was probably roughly a million cases of actual cases and and there's some other evidence that actually they're only reporting about a third of the deaths even so they're not counting anyone who isn't tested anyone who dies at home and because there's one of the newspapers looked at how many people are actually dying compared to a normal year like just total death and there's all these unaccounted for so yeah, yeah, yeah. they were arguing that there's probably uh, for every one official, there's probably two more unofficial. Yep. So that would mean in either case, I think the real numbers here are somewhere between three and 10 million active yep. would be my guess, which is, I mean, it's a country of 45 million people. So, and they're concentrated in Mil- Madrid and uh, in Barcelona areas. So that I would guess that means like, I don't know half the people there have it i don't know what that um
0: well, it's, i mean it's, it's interesting <laughs> i mean it's it's obviously tragic and i want to even know you know not to be insensitive but i want to talk a bit about the business when yeah. you know how this is going to get business going because obviously the economic impact is, is also hugely important not not to take away from the the tragedy obviously but what do you think of the scenarios like i guess globally in terms of how this goes there's obviously a lot of things that could happen now we're at a turning point it could become like Spanish flu, wasn't that apparently from Spain? But uh, or it could become, it, we could, companies could get control of it, or maybe certain countries get control of it. What do you think are like the scenarios, and what do you think are the most likely ones of, of where we go like with this right now?
1: I think the biggest game changer is going to be the antigen test to see if you've had the virus and are now immune.
0: Expert testing, yeah.
1: The Germany has been talking about issuing immunity certificates. I made this sci-fi prediction a few weeks ago, but we didn't get my video online. So I have no proof or or credit, but (laughs) (laughs) it was filmed, but not produced. But I think that will be a huge game changer because the intelligent countries are going to test massively. That will give us way more data to actually see. It's supposed to be a test you can basically get on Amazon, like a pregnancy test. Yeah, that's going to give way more data. Fingers crossed, it turns out, the mortality rate is a lot lower. And it's just a really, really contagious virus. So that there actually is millions of people who've had it. yeah, it We're spreading that. it, but didn't know. Or like me and Gabby had, um, I think, I, you know, fingers crossed, we had it around the 14th, 15th, which we had, uh, she had a fever for a few days. I had a fever one night. I had shortness of breath for four or five. It was also a very stressed time. That was right when the lockdown was starting and we were yeah. moving places. Shortness of breath can be a you know guy bearing all his stress inside sort of thing as well. Yeah. Um, but so it was like mild symptoms. We weren't tested, obviously. Um, so I think that's going to give us a lot more numbers once those antigen tests come out. Yeah. And it also, I think governments will start to if, if I was in charge, which more and more after seeing how governments react, yeah. I think maybe yeah, I should that, be. But. be president of the world. <laughs> <laughs> but what I think they should be doing is they'll give you an immunity certificate to allow you to function normally with two clauses. One is you cannot post on social media anything outside. Because what happens in a society where half of them are locked up and can't work and the other half are posting selfies at the beach? That's going to get pretty nasty yeah, over a year.
0: We'll be allowed to post on social media. That's, not that's
1: what well. I don't think they will do that. But I think that's how you maintain a society without it falling apart too much. Sure. You know, you get the Kim Kardashians of the world posting there. I'm at the beach suckers. I've had the virus. You don't stuff. Yeah. And the other thing is to mandate, you know, you have to volunteer a minimum of one day a week, maybe even more. So aside from doing your job. If you're immune now, work at hospitals, do deliveries, work at a grocery store, do something that sure. you're not at risk of spreading it to people, you're not at risk of getting it. You know, I think you're going to see the UK, I think some official estimates are that there's already a million cases. I think they said that it's 10 to 20 times. Spain I think is probably even more than that that 10 or 20 times figure. And so if you think about that, a million people, two million who can return, who can go visit with older people who are stuck at home all day, who can start to help everyone with their sanity a bit, that could start to really be a positive turning point. Um, I won't go into too much details, but my sci-fi prediction is you then get dens where people try to get like intentionally infected to get immunity so they can go back to work. That's sort of a natural progression right? Yeah. If you can get a certificate and now suddenly you can return to normal life, if you're young and healthy, it's n- only natural. You're going to then try to get it. Um
0: yeah, I mean, I, I think there's got to be like, one, like if what you said, once there's a, an, a widely available test, then that's going to be changing is because then people will start to travel again. There's going to be a lot of restrictions. You might need a test. I mean, in Hong Kong, so I work with schools in Hong Kong, some of them are starting to open some days a week with like half the kids coming one day, half another, like, temperature checks twice a day for everyone you know the handheld kind of gun like yeah. thing so i think there's going to be a bit of like you know like after 9-11 there was all this kind of you know the tsa security stuff there's just gonna yeah. be a ton of temperature checking maybe you have to get a wristband like in hong kong when you've come back from another country you have to wear a certain wristband that's trackable with an app you know maybe there's yeah. a few of these kind of dystopian solutions but maybe it, it starts getting because obviously with the thing we all want um a Obviously, you don't need to keep saying it, but apart from people to stop dying, is the world to get back to normal again, people to be able to travel, do their jobs, yeah. you know, just engage in, in commerce and, and, and things as well. So I don't know. Like, I think the testing, once that happens, it, there's going to be some normality and, and movement again, I think.
1: I think definitely. And and the aside from the antigen test, the relatively instant test for the virus, I think it's the UK that has one that should get down to 5 or $10 a test. Yeah, and be good in 15 minutes. Because then you could test at airports on both sides. You know, yeah. you test when you board, you test when you get off. That's enough to also account for errors in the testing. If you're sure. doing double tests, maybe there will end up being some travel that will be more, it will probably be expensive. Maybe like yeah. an elite travel. some resorts start to open with a lot of protocols in place. I yeah. think some governments like Germany and, and the UK are already thinking about this. Because they're really, I think, not the, no one's that organized right now, except maybe Russia. But once things settle, government, it, you know, everyone's running around like in panic mode. And we know as entrepreneurs, if you're really stressed and overwhelmed, you're not thinking right. You're not yeah. thinking to the future. You're in panic mode. That's the Spanish government for the past three weeks. And I do have some empathy for that. Uh, most of the members of the government even have the virus. So you're, you're sick you're overwhelmed, you're stressed. My hope is once things calm down a bit, people will think rationally about, you know, what can we do with immune people? How can we have them serving the communities? How can we enable some levels of travel or restaurants even with more testing? You need a society though that will follow these rules because I think one of the fears here and Spanish people have said this to me is like, like here you're not allowed to go for a walk or go to the park or anything. Like you can't leave your house unless it's to shop. And even then it's like one person and, and everything. I think the fear is if they give people any leeway, that people will break the rules. Yeah, And so where in Asia, that seems to be working. My friends are in Beijing. Oh, one, they were together. She's returned to Germany last week. But to go into a restaurant, you need a certain app on your phone. That app registers you've been there and then if anyone there has had the virus you get notified and you have to self-quarantine and they use the facial recognition to see if you're breaking your quarantine and
0: that could happen in the West, then i mean i mean it's you i would have said like three months ago i would have said never in a million years but now i think it's possible that could happen you know
1: i think they have an app they've in the czech republic or they're working on one but it's voluntary now but these these more progressive countries in terms of technology, not necessarily politics, are doing hackathons and trying to figure out tech solutions to help because yeah. it makes sense. If you can track everyone's movements with their phones already, then track it. And Google already has all that data generally. Yeah. So just use that data to let them know, hey, the, you know, there was an outbreak at the supermarket you were at. You should probably quarantine or whatever yeah. it is.
0: Cool. Now let's talk about the business side of this because most people that listen to this podcast are running some kind of events, and you know it's it, it's been a really great experience doing this podcast. And I've I get you know that from based on the emails I get, there's a really broad range of people. There's people running like people like you who events is kind of not their main thing, but they run meetups. And then you've got there's a lot of people who listen to this who actually run their own conferences, and some even some people that run trade shows. You know, big thousands of people events. So. This clearly is a bad time for in-person meetup businesses. <laughs> I would say is an understatement of the century. I think that goes and, without saying. <laughs> you no, know, and I'm laughing because, like, you know, I, I'm it's my business as well, you know. So, you know, it's like laughing in the face of adversity. What, like, clearly and clearly, there's businesses that won't survive. Clearly, a lot of people have run events that have had to be cancelled. Like, like, when, when, when do we think that people are going to be able to? run events again and of any level and when do you think you know it's it's really going to be realistic i mean i'm not asking you to put it i am asking you to be yeah. ball. Well, clearly you don't know but what, i don't your... mind
1: being wrong and just making estimates uh so yeah. <laughs> the everything i've heard in terms of a proper vaccine is and that's the longest estimate out in terms of when things will go back to normal is r- roughly summer next year the apparently Johnson and Johnson is working on one vaccine. So there's already 20 or so vaccines that have been made.
0: Yeah.
1: It doesn't take a lot of time to make a vaccine. The thing is, you then have to test it because some vaccines will give you the virus. Some will lead to the virus being it's worse. A if you're
0: As well to get things approved. You know?
1: It's sort of a year with all the rules dropped right now, right. basically to test it. So. And then you have production. So Johnson & Johnson is working on one, which is hopeful because they have the capacity to produce a billion. You know, they can convert whatever factories they have. So that's the the long case, right? The worst case out. Yeah. I think you're going to see in every, go- as we've seen with this virus, every government reacts differently. There is no unified, even within the EU, you know, everywhere is reacting differently. But... I would guess by this summer, some governments start to have extreme penalties if you break the rules, but then allow a lot more freedom within the rules. Something like you can do events, but you have to be pre-tested when you, you know, before you leave your house, you get tested at the door. Maybe the event happens in one hotel or something. I don't know exactly how they, they do it. Uh, we saw it in South Korea. Right
0: no, but I think that's how people are thinking. Because if you look now in in the fall or the autumn, if you're English, like a lot people are still keeping their events schedule. Anything I anything I'm seeing events I'm involved in September October, people still have it on the diary. You know, yeah. I think they're still hoping and praying that you know there'll be either widespread testing or maybe early days with an antidote. You know, to run these events. I mean, I think it's I don't know if
1: it's going to happen. I I really don't know. I think it's optimistic though. Yeah, I, I think um whether or not it happens it's optimistic that's what we've seen with people you know when spain had 800 cases or five they were like ah this will probably get better like with no explanation of how it will get better there's just a hey things work out right like Yeah, yeah without you know explaining how that would happen biologically but yeah i i think in europe there's going to end up being a lot more immunity than we think. Spain may be the first to come out of this tragically because basically everyone's got it. I could see a place like Spain by May, if the numbers are right, it's still spreading every five days or sorry, doubling every five days here. At one point, it was doubling every two days where normal countries, it doubles every four, five, six days. So Spain was doing something to supercharge it. And even now with the full lockdown, I think the last I checked, it was doubling every five days, which means if there's, you know, you do that math, if there's 2 million cases now in 10 days, that's 8 million. So you might start to see countries that have been hit hard come through with more immunity. And if a third of the population has immunity, there's these certificates that events and things can start to return to normal. Not fully normal, but some level of it. I mean, I guess if it,
0: if it really does double, it keeps doubling every five days and that doesn't stop. I mean, it will only be a matter of weeks before everyone has it. And it's just a case of everyone has it. And then it's, it's, got, it's got to go, you know, even in, the, yeah. even in the worst case scenario of everyone getting it, you know? like yeah.
1: I, I think um, Boris Johnson was, I don't know if he necessarily knew all the math when he was talking about this, but the early UK strategy was essentially this. He said, if you're over 70, lock yourself up. If you're younger, kind of function as normal, we'll end up with a herd immunity. And then it changed changed their mind because that whole aspect everyone's heard now about flatten the curve, right? If you have too many cases at once, but now you're seeing everyone was impressed when China built those hospitals, but you're seeing the same thing in the UK and the US. Which putting amazes
0: up. me, given, I mean, I, I'm English. <laughs> you know, given the horrendous, I mean, if you've grown up in England, the infrastructure projects, I mean, Wembley Stadium, you know, and if you, they were insane, like last went a million times over budget, high-speed rail. Britain can't do anything. All of a sudden, it's like the wartime spirit. We're building all these hospitals. It's just yeah. uh,
1: amazing, you know? It, it is, and I, I think we'll see that in I, the US as well. You know, countries, when they really get behind, when companies start to back it, like I know in the UK, I think Formula One and a few other companies are now making uh, not ventilators, but something similar or not incubators, sorry, but something similar that um, helps with breathing. So, yeah, I think he was too ahead of that, where it's no, you need to flatten the curve and give time to get these new hospitals, to get equipment, to get everything in place. But that aspect of once a certain amount of people get it and then testing for immunity and then letting people return to life because there is a flip side to being locked up i mean there's going to be mental health issues um you know some of the darker things in terms of uh, you know abusive relationships unhappy you know living experiences we're talking we're both in fairly big places and and happy relationships yeah you've got you know, an unhappy living situation in a small apartment where you sort of survive because you're both out all day and the kids are out. And
0: that's the thing. I mean, even, but even like, you know, I, I you know, I, would like to think I've got a good relationship, but even then, like, you know, you, you know, I, and I'm lucky I get to come out <laughs> to my office, you know, but you got a small child, uh, wife's pregnant. There's like, you know, there's, there's stresses. And imagine if, if the relationship was going badly, you know, which a lot of relationships yeah. are, or, I mean. I don't know what's worse. Like, imagine if you were, if you're single now and, you, and you're maybe unhappy because you're single, and like this. I, t- I, mean, I hear Tinder. I hear
1: Tinder's amazing right now. <laughs> what's that sorry? I've heard Tinder is amazing right now, and there's still covert dating happening in Prague. Can you, um,
0: can you imagine, like, if you were a single uh, man or woman, like, when this
1: ends, like, it's yeah. going to be
0: the best dating scene of all time. You know, everyone is going to be wanting to meet people, you know?
1: I'm trying to convince Gabby to give me, like, a free five-day pass when quarantine ends. Like, we can both have a five-day <laughs> oh, no, pass. I
0: yeah, no, <laughs> hope so. What, um, yeah. so, okay, we think, we don't know. We think maybe people are running events in October, maybe next year. But is this going to affect people that whole concept of live events in in the future because you've already mentioned i mean you know travel worst case scenario it could become a rich person's thing again maybe people are reluctant to go to live events maybe people are scared it's going to come back again next winter and mutate and it won't be a, a thing you know is this um what are the scenarios you know i mean you know there's, there's obviously a, a worse and the best case but how do you think this is going to affect the live events kind of industry or or even people doing it casually in the future
1: um I I think there's two possible ways it goes. One is you have, and maybe both actually happen with different people. So one is what happens, you know, if you're, let's say on a, on a diet for a while, like a strict diet, when you go off off it, it can go one of two ways. You can go extreme and just be like, oh my God, I'm going to eat every In my case, it's nachos is my thing. Yeah, yeah, and strict diet.
0: So this is, you can speak from experience, you know.
1: Yeah, well, and and from my experience doing keto, which I'm less strict in lockdown here, yeah. but even when I'm off it, I tend to eat a lot better because it's changed some behavior. Right, so, it broke sugar addictions. It made me realize you can make some delicious food with vegetables and broccoli and, you know, whatever. So you might see both. You might see people who learn to appreciate being more intimate with their partners in terms of like playing board games and being close together and spending time. Yeah, you might have both sides. So people realize like, hey, virtual stuff, it works really well. You know, I'm talking to some clients about doing virtual music lessons and doing like a two camera setup. So you yeah. can show like their fingers on the piano and their face at the same time or these yeah. sorts of things. So you might have people both where some people are just, I can't wait to get back to other humans. I can't wait to be at an events. And you might have others who kind of get used to it and are like, this isn't so bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's interesting
0: because like this, this is a whole. We're on a we're on a Google uh, Meet Hangouts Meet now, and people are using Zoom, and it's this whole new world. Everyone's all these, but f- the thing is, like this has been my life for the last eight years. I'm I, I spend my whole <laughs> life on, on Hangouts. Like you know, I'm in Prague. I, I I go to our events, you know, maybe once a month, but most yeah. of the time, and you know, and everyone's like discussing if this is the way it could be. I mean, I we're running online training now, obviously, and and it's, and it's great. We've got signups, and 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 this is a business line we'll have we'll have afterwards. I still don't think it's going to be everything. I mean, I've, like I say, I've, this isn't new to me, you know, and I've, I've, I've been through this and, and it doesn't, get, doesn't really get that much easier. I mean, it's still, it's tiring doing video chat, you know? Yeah. And, and if you're doing it all day, like it's, it's all right, but it's, it's, you just need to get away from it and walk around and, and meeting people is, is really different. You know, I, I, just, I can't see, I mean, that's a, that's a discussion. Our virtual training events and conferences are going to take over. And I, I don't think so, you know, unless. unless we just don't get this virus under control and we have to do it. You know, I, I don't see it as a solution personally, having done
1: this for eight years, you know. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm in the same boat. My business hasn't really changed yeah. the, except for the face to face events, which I was doing, you know, once or twice a year. Yeah. And yeah, it hasn't changed. I, I think there's a lot of upside though, to the in-person. Yeah. And so I, I agree with you, I think people will go back. A lot of the point of coming to events, whether it's conferences or events like mine, is getting sort of a mix of a holiday, getting to go out with new people. And you're. that's something actually I'm trying to figure out how to wrap my head around and do virtually um, to get some element of that feeling. But it's, yeah, I, I think we are you know we're from a very social species and we've been moving in this direction of virtual you know text messaging instead of having drinks together and all this but i either this will be the final nail in the coffin for old social behavior or we'll realize how great it is and i think we'll probably most people will realize how great it is and yeah
0: Cool. Well, that, that's probably a good, good place to finish, actually, after all the misery and a slightly, a slightly <laughs> up to it. Dan, um, great to talk as always, like dreamsaroundtheworld.com. Anything else you want to promote or is that the place that links to everything?
1: Uh, that links to everything. I guess people listening here like podcasts. So um, the podcast is just Dreams Around the World in whatever podcast app, Spotify, all that, or on YouTube. And Cool. Yeah that's Dreams it. Around
0: the world. Yeah, check it out. I've listened to a couple of episodes. It it looks good. Um uh, dan thanks very much and um good luck in Spain.
1: <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You too.